you have a brother on your side, defeating death on your behalf, drawing you closer to God, wants to make you one with God yet again like he is. He was tempted just like you are Mm. to give up on this being one at God, doing all this, and he's fighting for you with you. And since we have somebody like that on our side, let's keep obeying and believing him. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everybody to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We are beginning our study in the book of Hebrews. I think we're going to spend about three episodes walking through it. Seth, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling uh, <laughs> finally excited for this podcast. Uh, yeah. Hebrews is a lot. Yeah. And I think I think most people who've tried to engage with Hebrews are like, oh, there's like 13 Old Testament references in the first 13 verses. <laughs> and they slow way down and get really overwhelmed really fast. And that was our experience behind the scenes grappling with the stuff of Hebrews. So I'm finally excited to talk about all that Hebrews has to offer. Yeah, I have two questions for you right at the the front. Number one, somebody's tuning in, they're like, should I stick with this? Mm -hmm. What would you say to them is waiting for them inside Hebrews that they should be excited about? Um, Even though Hebrews seems really long, the author of the book Hebrews at the very, very end of it in Hebrews uh, 13, Mm -hmm. there's 13 chapters in Hebrews. (laughs) We know this book. I know this book very well. Uh, He says, this is a brief word. It's brief. Gosh, yes. He says a brief word of exhortation Mm. or it's a brief word of challenge. Mm. And it's supposed to challenge people who are experiencing some form of persecution or imprisonment for the faith to remain faithful to Jesus, despite how hard it is to do so. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us in the West probably are not experiencing harsh treatment for our faith in Jesus, but it is not easy to follow Jesus. And so the book of Hebrews offers us a challenge to say, no, Jesus really is worth following. And let me challenge you to do so more deeply and more confidently by showing you how great Jesus is. That's exciting. So that's the book of Hebrews. Okay. We challenge you to believe and obey Jesus by showing you how great Jesus is. That's awesome. Yep. All right. Second question. Okay. Who wrote this book? Uh, so the, <laughs> if, if you know anything about Hebrews, you know that the, that's the, the joke. That's the joke. Yeah. The, Hebrews is, it's funny. A Hebrews is a letter. Yep. But it doesn't work like a letter mm. because normally the first thing that happens in a letter is say, I, Paul, greet you. Some kind of address. An address. And that is just entirely missing from the book of Hebrews, which is odd. Yeah, it just starts off a long, long time ago. That's right. Yeah, just (laughs) a long ago at many times. And it just kind of starts. It just kind of starts. So the author never mentions himself. Uh, We're never really told necessarily even who the audience is Mm. necessarily, although there are some hints that it's more than likely a group of Christians living in Rome suffering persecution under one of the Roman emperors. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, we don't know a ton more about who wrote the book and who received it, except for the fact Mm. that the entire audience was more than likely Jewish. Uh, Jewish believers in Jesus who had been steeped in the Old Testament were breathing the Old Testament and could just rattle off Old Testament verses at will and at whim and everybody was on the same page. Right. Uh, It's kind of like around here, if you... Uh, hang out at Spoken Gospel for very long at all, you'll often just hear that we just riff off like the office quotes that, yeah, that's or exactly Parks right. and Rec quotes. <laughs> and for other people on the team yeah. who, <laughs> who, who've never seen them, they have, they're just lost. But for us, right. we're like, oh, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's You're... like such an actual deep cut. Right. But it's because we're familiar with the text. Yes. So <laughs> when you get into the book of Hebrews, you're going to feel that. You're going to feel like the author assumes a lot of you and that the audience just was apparently following along with this argument. And so the book of Hebrews does reward deep study. Yeah. And if you have a decent Bible, they should list for you all the times it quotes from the Old Testament. So 
the best advice I could give you if you're reading the book of Hebrews for the first time is just whenever you see an Old Testament text, just go read it in context, go read it in context and then come back mm. and then spend like a year and a half in Hebrews. And then like, <laughs> y- it will be beneficial to you on some so level. So we'll see you all in a year and a half. <laughs> no, okay, um, that, that's, that's really cool. So we have a little bit of a sense of the situation. There's yeah. most likely Jewish Christians in Rome under some type of persecution and they needed a challenge or an exhortation to continue to follow Jesus, even though it's hard, because he's worth it. That's right. Okay. I'm That's following right. all of that. Yeah. And the way that he'll do that frequently is by comparing Jesus to what they had under Judaism, mm. under before Jesus came, under the Old Covenant, in the temple system, in the sacrificial system. All good Jewish boys and girls grew up as good Jews, going to the temple, experiencing priests, hearing the stories of Moses. Mm-hmm. And these were this was their worldview. This is how they interacted with the world. These were the heroes of their faith. These were the things that they were most like attuned to and like uh, were excited by yeah. or hoped in. And so the way that he encourages them is by pointing back to all these stories and showing them how all those stories, if they were excited about those things, they should be even more excited about what Jesus is doing. And let me guess, let me just take a guess as to why he's comparing following Jesus to the Old Testament, because it could seem random. That's right. Right. But my guess is that in Rome, especially the the religion of Judaism or being a Hebrew and all of the cultural religious practices that went along with that were accepted by the Roman empire. It was, you were allowed to be a Jew in Rome. You were allowed to practice well, Judaism in Rome. Yes and yes no. And no. Okay. So yes, in, to some extent, but actually, and I, I'm going to, I'm blanking on the name of the, the Roman emperor, but I believe it was emperor Claudius in AD 49. He kicked out all Jews from Rome. And then part of the book of Acts mm-hmm. is written based on that knowledge. So you right. had, um, is it Priscilla and Aquila? Yeah, they're, 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 they were kicked out And then of they end Rome. up going back at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like there, there's a mixed history. That's right. Is, is yep. the point. Mm-hmm. But yes. Yeah. So depending on when you date the book of Hebrews is to what extent that persecution was happening. Is, I see. Yes. So it was either leading up to this max exodus. Or after it. Or after it. Yeah. When you had... Jews coming back in after that edict lifted into Rome. Yeah. And they were trying to figure out how to reintegrate with Rome. Yes. Okay. So, because what I'm trying to figure out is why is it better to be a Jew in Rome, a, a practicing religious Jew in Rome, rather than a practicing Christian in Rome? Why, why, when, why as these pe- Christians are experiencing their persecution, yeah. why does he keep making appeals right. to Jews being better than Judaism? Yeah, because it seems like the people that are reading Hebrews wanted to just go back to their old Jewish ways, yes. why would that be attractive in their situation? It's it's possible for what you're hinting at. Like right. Maybe Judaism was a more attractive option right. between the two, and Judaism enjoyed some protected status among right. Rome. And so it was just a more convenient way right. to be alive in Rome yeah. at that time. Because Christians got a real bad rap. In they the did. Roman Empire, we, that, they yeah. were they were accused of like cannibalism, cannibalism incest, incest, all sorts yeah. of crazy stuff. And so yeah. like they were, you know, later atheism, on, yeah, atheism, weirdly, right? Weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they wouldn't ascribe to any of the gods, and their yeah. gods didn't have a physical representation. Their god right. didn't, and so, yeah. um, but they they were used to having Hebrews around, right? And so I could see the cultural pressure of like, can't I just go back to what was go easy back to what was the, easy and i was still a god fearer i was still doing the things i was supposed to do yeah and ever since we brought in this whole jesus thing i just don't know if it's worth it yeah i think that could be part of the motivation okay. underlying it and i think the other part of it is that if you grew up a jew and you were used to being motivated by the jewish stories and this is how you lived a holy life in the world this is how you made sense of the world now you've accepted jesus as your messiah mm-hmm and all of a sudden, accepting Jesus as, as your Messiah, rubber meets the road moment. You're being persecuted for that faith. Mm-hmm. How does does what you grew up with, all those stories from your past, matter anymore? Do they oh, import see. on what you really believe? Or is this Jesus thing all you have? I think part of what mm. he's doing is like, no, no, all of your history, Jewish Christians, yeah. has been pointing to Jesus. So let me explain why Jesus is such great news because you know your Bible so well, because you know your Mm. history so well. And let me show you why this is everything you've been waiting for. So hold fast, persevere, endure the suffering because Jesus is what the whole Bible's about. 
So another way to think about it then is the reason why he's bringing up all these Old Testament passages is because they've gone out on a limb, they've started following Jesus, and it seems like that's all they have. And it's like, man, I used to be persecuted, but I had my community. I had this history of faith. I used to be able to be like, you know what? I'm being persecuted like Daniel when he was thrown in the lion's den. That's right. And now I just don't have those stories anymore. I don't have that history anymore. Right. He's like, or no. What, story, what did those stories have, have to, to say, say about, about Jesus? To say about Jesus, yeah. right. And so you just kind of felt like you might have had your cultural rug pulled out from under you. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, no, no, no. In fact, you can stand on it and it gets better. Yes. Okay. So maybe those both things of those are, in and again, head. we don't know a ton about the audience, but yeah. these are pretty good guesses okay. about the motivations about why Hebrews was written. Okay. So that's a little bit of the history, the audience, and why he's comparing your faith to Jesus is is better than and builds yeah. upon yes. the Old Testament. One last question before yeah. we, we jump in, because it's it's gonna we're gonna come back to it so much. Is he trying to to say that Jesus is better and is replacing or is, is yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the old testament is he is he trying to say that jesus integrates in with your old testament what's the relationship hmm. that the author of hebrews is trying to get his audience to see between the old testament and their new savior jesus? i feel like you're asking like the deepest question of oh. theology is like how does the old testament relate <laughs> to the new testament what does jesus change and what does he keep the same yeah. like it's a it's a really big question and hebrews is getting at the heart of it i think a really simple way to say it is he showing how Jesus is superior to or better than what they experienced in the Old Covenant mm-hmm. or in the Old Testament? What they had in the Old Testament was good. It was a, a means of God's grace to yeah. them. It was the way they secured forgiveness. Is how they got they got into the promised land. It's how they secured victory of battles. It's how they got a kingdom in the first place. How right. the walls of Jericho came down. God in the Old Covenant did amazing, amazing things. things. Yeah, uh, and it was good. Yeah. But what Jesus has done in the new covenant, what Jesus is doing right now in them as he reigns in heaven is orders of magnitude better. Hmm. And it builds off of what they had in the past. And it's, but it's just, it's better, superior, greater than. And I think to your point, it is organically connected to what came before it. As God has acted in the past, so he's doing again on a greater and grander scale. I see. And that should offer some kind of comfort to the people or it should offer them like it should challenge them Mm -hmm. to continue the faithfulness of their forefathers, challenge them to continue to obey and believe in Jesus. And it should like elevate Mm. the goodness and glory of Jesus and show that he is worth following through persecution. I see because I think I'm starting to get a picture of it now. So because uh, for centuries the people of Israel had been enduring through multiple different things to varying degrees of success through all kinds of persecution, ups and downs, you know, but the Hebrew faith continued. Yeah. It persevered. And it's like, he's saying now that you're under Jesus, it is even more imperative and it's worth more for you to persevere in this Right. as well. Yeah. Hebrews 11, one of the most famous passages in the book of Hebrews is like the hall of fame of faith. Yeah. And it's all Old Testament people. And he's giving this them this list of people starting with Abel and Genesis yeah. and going all the way through people like Daniel and the exile, the whole history of God's people as example of people. And this is the crazy part of mm. Hebrews 11 of people who had faith in Jesus mm-hmm. people. And he says, Moses believed in Jesus, Yeah, which is blows your mind we'll get right, there right. we'll get there but he's like your forefathers have been believing the promises that jesus brings about for millennia hmm. continue continue in that that's helpful yeah uh, one of my favorite metaphors to explain what's happening in the way that jesus is better than the old testament is what does fulfillment mean what does that look like is yeah. like the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly okay it's like the old testament the what happened beforehand before jesus was a caterpillar and it was a great caterpillar, beautiful thing to look at, kind of interesting to look at. But when it goes into its cocoon and it's reborn, it's something totally different. It's a beautiful butterfly, right? But it's still the same animal. It's the same animal, right. but totally transformed and free in a new way that it wasn't before. Mm. It can fly now, right? but it's the same animal. right? And it's... It didn't do away with something. It, it didn't do away with something, yeah. but it... It became what it was always meant to be. Mm, yeah. And I think I like that's that. the way Hebrews is wanting its audience to engage with it. It's like Jesus is what we've always meant to be as a people. Okay. That's really helpful. Thanks for bearing with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All my questions. These okay. are great questions. Then now I think we can jump into Hebrews chapter one. 
So it says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Yeah. Can I keep going? Because these first verses actually telegraph the entire book. Really? Yeah. So long ago and many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Uh So just keep in your head speaking to fathers being spoken to by prophets. Okay. Uh, but in that, these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Okay. Uh, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. So we've got a, something better than the prophets, a mm-hmm. son that cr- who's also responsible for creating the whole world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, meaning like Jesus is to God what rays are to the sun. Yeah. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we have three big categories here. You have prophet speaking, you have a son creating, and you have a priest offering purification and sacrifice for sins. Okay. And throughout the book of Hebrews, those three big ideas are going to get unpacked in turn. Prophet speaking. Prophet speaking. So the first two chapters are about how Jesus is better than the end, the prophets that spoke beforehand mm-hmm. and the leadership that came before. He's going to go on and talk about the new world order Jesus is making by virtue of him being the creator of mm. the world. And then he's also going to talk about how Jesus is a better priest, offering better sacrifices, purifying sins better than any in the past. Okay. So in these three little verses right here, he's telegraphing some of the main themes that are happening throughout the whole book. Okay. So, uh, and just for to put your head on straight, the way that Hebrews is structured is pretty clear, actually. In chapters 1 and 2, he kind of talks about these angelic messengers. Mm-hmm. In chapters 3 and 4, he talks about one of the Israel's prophets, Moses, one of its leaders, and how Jesus is better than Moses. So Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. And then he moves on to how Jesus is better than the priesthood, and then how Jesus is better than the sacrifices that came before it. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, boop, 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 boom, all the way through. Okay. And kind of two-chapter chunks. Right. There you go. All right. So... Why is he starting off talking about messengers and oh, prophets and the yes. words God spoke and how Jesus is better than that? Why start there and what's he doing? What he's doing here is how did the Hebrew people come to know who God was and what God uh, expected of them? God yeah. spoke to them. God spoke to them. Yeah. And so in the past, God spoke through messengers, mm-hmm. uh, prophets at sometimes. And then in verse four it says, having become as much superior to angels yeah. as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Yeah. So presumably the, the Old Testament was also given to the Hebrew people through the ministry of angels mm-hmm. in some sense. Yeah. And so what he's saying is, okay, you guys have had a faith passed down to you through messengers, through prophets, sometimes human prophets, mm-hmm. and sometimes through these divine beings called angels. Yeah. Now what I'm saying to you is a new message is coming to you and it's not a messenger it's not a, a, a divine being. It's God's son himself. Mm-hmm. And he's coming to you not just as a messenger, but the message itself. I see. In his own body, he is a son, not a yeah. servant, not a minister, not an angel. And what he's coming is better news by virtue of the fact that he's not a servant, but a son. Yeah. I mean, so. that makes sense why he would start there, because I feel like if you were going to have a conversation with me about how Muhammad was better than Jesus. Okay. Yeah. You would have to start with my Bible. Right. How and do how we... his message is superior to this message. Right. How do we get the information that we have? Right. That's right. And and so I mean the people of Israel were a people of the book. You even said, like, they're just riffing yes. off of Old Testament. They breathed it. They lived it. Mm-hmm. And and so if there's now this continuation of that faith, if the caterpillar is becoming a butterfly, the way God communicates is still the same. He's going to send words. He's going to send a message. Yes. And so now you're saying the reason why Jesus's ministry is better is because he's not just sending a message through an intermediary. Mm -hmm. He's sending the message itself through his son. That's right. Okay. The really quick way to sum up two chapters. Okay. Right. (laughs) And then the other, the other thing in there, which we just kind of glazed over is the angel thing. Yeah. But uh, I'll let you riff on this. Yes. yes. I just want to make one observation that's helpful is uh, the the English is a little, makes it a little more difficult here mm-hmm. because the Greek can be taken two ways. Yeah. The Greek for angel, angelos mm-hmm. can be taken two ways because it just means messenger. 
and we've transliterated angelos into angel instead of translating it into messenger yeah but sometimes angelos does refer to the spiritual beings known as angels that's right but it could also just mean a messenger that's and right. so the whenever you talk about a messenger you know it could have that a double word, meaning. it could have a double meaning that's yeah. right specifically though he's kind of talking about talking about both talking right. about human messengers yes. as in the prophets right. like nahum isaiah jeremiah yeah. moses right uh, but he's also talking about divine messengers yes and this kind of gets cleared up in chapter two so he starts this chapter two this way so we must pay close attention to what we have heard in Jesus left lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So here's what he's saying. Uh, I think he's referring to Mount Sinai. Okay. On Mount Sinai, God delivered a law, right? Yep. He gave his people a law and people were held accountable to that law if they failed that law they were punished right if they did well by that law they were rewarded and so he's saying back in the old days back on mount sinai angels delivered the law we all know this so we can talk <laughs> about that uh, um and so he says and people were held responsible for how they responded to the message of angels right how much more seriously do you think we should take a message direct from God's son. Right. Not a messenger, but, but the, but the thing author itself. of the message itself. That's right. So yeah. it's the same way to talk about kind of what we're, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what we're getting at here. Okay. Yeah. Do I talk about why there might be angels uh, on Mount Sinai? Or? I mean, kind of. <laughs> so this was like kind of crazy because throughout the new Testament, there's multiple mentions of angels being on Mount Sinai when God gives the law. Okay. Paul mentions this in Galatians three. Right. And when Stephen is giving a speech just before he's stoned in Acts seven, he also mentions the fact that angels were present on Mount Sinai when God gave the law, mm-hmm. which is a fact that I am not familiar with. And then when I read it in the new Testament, I entirely gloss over. Right. And what's funny is there's no like one place in the old Testament that it's actually it's just really clear. That's really clear. The The best place you can look is uh Psalm 68, 17. Okay. And in Psalm 68, 17, it says that God, when he's on Mount Sinai is surrounded by 10,000 or 20,000 angels. Oh yes. I see that. And they're also described as his hand. Like they are, they're described as his arm or his hand. Also, I turned right to Psalm 68, 11, just You by, were just oh, ready. I have you no idea how I did it. that. <laughs> um, and so uh, it seems as if Old Testament readers of scripture took this to mean that there were angels present on uh, Mount Sinai. Now, what's interesting is that we're never told that angels write the law. Mm-hmm. We're told that God's finger writes the law. Right. But here's a couple of interesting things. The angels have just been described as God's hand oh. or God's arm. Right. And Moses could not see God's front. Right. Remember? Like yes. there's a whole scene where Moses can only see his backside. Yeah. So how does Moses know that he used his hand to write the law? Mm. How could he have seen his finger unless he saw him from the front or the side, neither of which was available to him? He could only see him from back. the back. Yeah. So I think the logic of the Old Testament is... God used the means of angels, messengers, mm-hmm. to inscribe the law by God's hand. I see. And that they are his hand. They are his hand. Mm-hmm. They are his hand. And that's how we received the first law. I see. The, the, the law on Mount Sinai. Okay. So, so deep cut into the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But if you take that then and then you compare it to, let's take a minute and think about the difference of Jesus. Okay. As the messenger. Yes. Because you have a lot of things happening here that you've mentioned so far. You said he's... It's not that he's bringing a message. He is the message. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by that? He's an heir and a son, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, and then he's not some divine or spiritual being. He is the divine himself. He is the exact representation of God's image. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. like unpack that for me and show me the difference of like, because oh. it, it seems crazy. It does seem the escalation. crazy. At this point in the argument, what the author wants to show is that we trust messages from angels, right? Hebrew? Oh, uh, yes. Right, uh, Jewish uh, yeah, Hebrew reader? A- absolutely. All the we time. totally like trust messages from angels implicitly, and we base our lives on it. Right. We reward, punish, and have death penalties based on our understanding of the message delivered by angels. Uh, yes. Right? Uh, yeah. Totally, right? We uh, believe be the Hebrew. Yes. We, yeah, I, totally yes, believe that, right? So if we believe that Jesus mm-hmm. is God's son, the exact imprint of his nature, and 
is God's message to us, don't we believe that there are more serious consequences and greater rewards for following his law? Right, right Hebrew yes. reader? Um, I, I mean, you've, you've painted me into a corner. I have to say yes. Right. And so he's painted you into a corner. <laughs> and that's what I think he's literally doing. He's challenging yeah. you. Like, you're tempted to not obey Jesus mm-hmm. anymore. You're tempted to not believe in him anymore. Right. But you believe in these other things, right? right. You believe angels gave you the law. How much greater must you believe this, right? Right. So I think he's painting people into a corner. Yeah. And then he's just going to continue to paint people in the corner for, for out the rest of the chapter. Does that answer your question sufficiently? It, it, it does argumentatively or polemically. Yeah. But there's also like a beauty yes. thing happening here that I just don't want to be missed. Because it's just like, okay, if angels are metaphorically God's hand mm-hmm. and Moses could only see the backside of God on Mount Sinai and angels were the ones inscribing the law and the Ten Commandments that delivered him, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the words. Right. Then there was this intermediation happening. There was this distance. And then in Jesus, God's exact representation that no one could behold or look at comes close to us, comes to the most undeserving people. And he not only brings a message, but he is the message of God incarnate because he is God incarnate. There's just something... Yes. Beautiful happening there that I'm just wanting to... He's going to paint you further in the corner and then make it really beautiful. Yeah. So So, I'm really glad you forced me to believe this. Yes. So let me keep painting (laughs) you into the corner, Hebrew believer, and then we'll uh, get to it. Is that who I am now? Yeah, that's who you are. That's who you are in this podcast now. Um, And so he continues. Okay. What else do we know about angels, Hebrew reader? Verse five. We know that it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking this world. He was testified, and he starts quoting from Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? And what is the son of man that you care for him? Broad point here is he's saying, okay, we trust this fact about angels, right? Mm-hmm. We trust that a law given by angels is significant, and that it's deserving of building our life on. Uh, Jesus is a better messenger than that, so we should treat him more seriously. Beside this fact, we're never told that angels run the universe. Mm. We're told that men run the universe Mm -hmm. humans run the universe and that angels are subject to humans right Uh, right uh, right hebrew reader uh, i guess i what what is man that you're mindful of him you have made him a little lower than angels but you have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection to him okay yes i knew that so you totally knew that hebrew reader right you've always known that humans are more powerful than angels even though we've been made lower than them in that they're in the heavens and we're on the earth right we have been crowned with an authority angels don't don't have right Right. Okay. And so who is Jesus? Is he a spiritual being or is he a human? Yes. Did, oh, did, <laughs> <laughs> you caught me. I, I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid to be painted into a you're, corner. You're afraid to be painted into a corner. His po- he says, like, <laughs> his point is that Jesus has been made lower than the angels. Mm-hmm. An angel has never been made lower than an angel. Right. So that means that Jesus, who has been made lower than the angels is greater than the angels. Because he's become like the ones who have been given authority. He's become like a human. That's right. So it's like we trust implicitly the authority of a message delivered by angels, Mm -hmm. but we should actually trust as more authoritative... A message from God given by a human because they've been given more authority. They've been given more authority. Okay. And so I think what he's doing here is kind of interesting on like an exegetical level, but he's just assuming that his audience understands that he's talking about Jesus here, Mm. right? He's like, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. You have made Jesus for a little while, a little lower than the angels, but now you've crowned it with glory and honor after his resurrection and you put everything in subjection to his feet. And now having put everything in subjection to Jesus, God left nothing outside of Jesus's control. Hmm. And then he has this little aside. And we know, right? Verse eight, we don't see everything subjected to Jesus, but we do see that Jesus was made lower than the angels. Mm-hmm. Do you see where he's g- getting at here? Yes. He's like, there is an implicit understanding that you have that they who have been made lower than the angels mm-hmm. have been given authority over everything. Everything is subject to them. And while you might not think if you are in my argumentative mm-hmm. space right now, mm-hmm. you might not think that Jesus has everything under mm-hmm. his authority. Right. But wouldn't you agree that he fits this category? He is one who is qualified to inherit all authority yeah. on earth. Right. Okay. And so he's like, okay, right. Yep. And namely that he was crowned with glory and honor. 
And then he says this, because, and this gets to the beauty part of it. So why was he crowned with glory and honor? Mm. Because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he could taste death for everybody. Mm. So he's getting now into some like even deeper waters. Okay, I see. Because what, we're, what I think you're saying here, if I can try to massage it out and, and, and see what's happening, is he has done something that an angelic messenger never could. That they, they never condescended to our level. They never became no. lower than themselves. They're angels always. That's right. And Jesus, as not only the messenger, but the message, because he became lower than the angels, became a human, he was able to do something that angels couldn't which was namely he could empathize with us, suffer alongside us and ultimately die like one of us. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I just think like when someone has gone through your own pain, when someone has entered into or experienced the kind of um, trauma that you've experienced, you trust their message more. Yes. Right. It's like, yes. I've actually been where you've been and yeah. this is how I got through it. Yeah. He, the author of Hebrews uses the word, it is fitting. Mm that God would become human in this way so that human beings who suffer yeah. can be glorified and be rewarded in, in his presence. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something else happening there yeah. then too. So two things, there's two comparisons you're making. One is that Jesus was able to taste death for us as the messenger of God, which an angel never could. Mm -hmm. Therefore he's going to give us a better message. That's right. Because he understands us in yeah. a way an angel never could. That's right. Um, but then something else happened because he came on our plane, <laughs> mm -hmm. was made like us, made lower than the angels, was one of us. He then is able to do something that an angel never could is make us like him. He became like us so that he could make us like him. Because you said in mm -hmm. chapter one that Jesus is the heir of all things. Mm -hmm. And whenever he became like us, he was then able to make us co-heirs and bring us with him where he goes. Yes. Yes, that is which an part, angel never could do. He could never do. It. I right. think yes, and I think what he's trying to do here is to again prove that Jesus is better than angels. It's mm -hmm. like that's the broadest level. Yeah, I think he's succeeding at that. He's succeeding. Yeah. Like, <laughs> angels aren't sons, right? Yep. Angels aren't the message in the better news itself. They're yep. merely carriers of that. They're intermediaries. Right. Angels of it. Uh, don't have the authority that humans have. Yep, and. And much less authority than the human par excellence, God Jesus, yeah. in mm -hmm. the flesh. And angels cannot relate to humans the way that God has chosen to relate to humans. Right. God has chosen to take on flesh and blood, like and yeah. bones, and he has chosen to experience all the same fears mm. and failings of human like the potential yeah. failings of humanity. Right so that he could rescue them from that. Yeah. And it is fitting that the God of the universe who loves his creation would condescend in this way. Yeah. Angels don't love humanity this way, but God does. Mm. So it is fitting that a God who desires to empathize with his creation, and in fact, all throughout scripture, what does he call us? Brothers, sons, right. children, to become one of the childs that he's created mm. who suffer and are subject to death. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful, and it's cool that God is bringing us into that brotherdom, heirdom yeah. with him. But one thing that's still kind of confusing and eluding me is chapter 2, verse 10, uh, and we've said it a few times now, for it is fitting that he, meaning Jesus, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This idea that mm -hmm. Jesus, it's fitting that he should die, it's fitting that he should suffer. Why is it fitting that the ultimate messenger... Ah. is dying and suffering. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And he says in verse 11, oh. because he who sanctifies, meaning Jesus, uh -huh. and those who are being sanctified, humans, all have the same father. Mm. We all have one source. And that is why Jesus always calls us brother throughout scripture. And he quotes all these verses. He's saying, I see. it's fitting that the one who is making us glorious mm -hmm would suffer like us because we and Jesus all have the same father mm. and Jesus wants to make his brothers perfect like him. And so in order to make his brothers perfect like him, he becomes like them. Mm -hmm. And what are humans? They are afraid. And that's what he says. They're afraid of death. 
they're over like they're overshadowed by the power of death and the devil mm. and so he comes in and he breaks that power so that his brothers might finally be reunited to their father in heaven man so are we saying then that the the author's point is possibly like that we would never have the ultimate messenger from god unless we had one who was willing to suffer alongside us that's right that's exactly what he's saying okay because and I don't know if it's in here or if it's more implicit is like you, you trust a messenger who's like you or who's been through what you've been through. Yeah. Is that what's happening? I think, I mean, I think it's almost more profound than that. Okay. The reason it's fitting yeah. is because Jesus and humanity are brothers. Hmm. Like we are, have the same father. God created us. We are his children hmm. and Jesus is God's son. I see. We are brothers with Jesus and God wants Jesus and all of his brothers to live with him forever. I see. And we would maybe have never really gotten that message. Yes. Had our brother not become like us because you're like your brother. That's right. And if Jesus and we can't become like God. Right. By ourselves. So we couldn't be like, oh, I am Jesus's brother. And I prove that in my own self. Jesus yes. had to condescend to right. become lower than the angels, to become like us, to prove that we are his brother. Yes. Well, what he's saying is, well, the Old Testament's always called us brothers. We mm. know that's the fact. And so in order to prove, prove it, prove it, Jesus became human. He partook of what we partook. Okay. Okay. I think I'm getting it now. So the reason why Jesus is the better messenger is because the Old Testament through intermediaries mm. told us that we were brothers mm -hmm. jesus comes and proves that we are brothers yes that's why he's better yeah yeah. it's because yeah, yeah. he proves what the old testament could only say mm -hmm. he puts in the flesh what the old testament could only put on the page does that make sense yeah, i think that i think you're, you're that's, you're, that's finally landing you're getting with me. you're getting there okay. yes that's finally sounding like good news to me and it's angels can't partake in flesh and blood mm. angels cannot be subject to the fear of death because they can't die right and neither can god until he becomes human yeah and so when jesus comes and becomes a human subjects himself to all our fear of dying he can actually break the power of death and give us a life like the angels that lives forever yeah. that an angel actually never could right that's why jesus is better than angels okay <laughs> all right so are, are we ready to land the plane with Jesus being better than angels? Because I have one question once we do. Yes, I think we are ready to land the plane about why Jesus is better than angels. Okay, then here's my question. Why does this matter for his audience, for us? Why does this argument and painting them into a corner where it's like, fine, I give up. Jesus is the better messenger. Uh, you win. Right. What's the point of that argument? I think part of the point is to simply convince them that God had to become human hmm. and that Jesus, it was a necessity I see. that Jesus must arrive. It's impossible yeah. to go back to just the Hebrew Bible because it is a necessity for Jesus to arrive, to experience death, to break the power yeah. of death. If we want to experience freedom, ultimate freedom from our persecutors who can kill us. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like that's a really good argument because if I was comparing, if I, you know, if I didn't know all this yep. and I was comparing angelic messengers to a human messenger, I would assume the angelic one was better. Right. Because they're angels. Yeah. So like a burning ball of light yeah, appeared at like, my door. That's I better. Listen, listen to it. That yeah. one's better. How am I supposed to trust a human has a better message than an angel? Especially when that died. Right. It's like, there it just seems to be like Jesus isn't as trustworthy of a messenger as the ones we've had all along. So right. I think yes, I'll yes. just stick to the Old Testament. And he's saying, no, let me show you many, many ways that Jesus is actually better because he became human and because he died. That's right. And that's what he's proving here. Yes. That helps. That's very clear in my head. There we now. go. Thank you. We got there. Okay, we got there. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. And the reason, again, why he's trying to show them that Jesus is better is because he's trying to encourage them and challenge them to remain steadfast amid, um, among persecution and in hard times yeah. to hold on to Jesus. That's right. When I mean, it might be easier for them to just go back to the Old Testament ways. Th that's right. The very last verse of chapter two is because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Mm. It's like all this, what is the point of all this theology? What's the point of all this deep dive? It's to help you when you're feeling tempted. Yeah. 
you have a brother on your side defeating death on your behalf drawing you closer to god wants to make you one with god yet again like he is he was tempted just like you are Mm. to give up on this being one at god doing all this and he's fighting for you with you and since we have somebody like that on our side let's keep obeying and believing him yeah i think it's really encouraging because honestly i think in my not i was gonna say my worst moments but just in some of my normal moments i can even read the new testament and just feel like it's this otherworldly, almost disembodied angel. Right, right, right. That is giving me advice or telling me a story or something that, yeah, I don't know, but it's really hard down here. <laughs> yeah. And what he's saying is, is like, no, Jesus actually has been where you've been. Mm-hmm. And therefore proven that you you can persevere and he will be with you as you persevere yeah you could still believe in some angelic messenger some transcendent truth yeah but will a transcendent truth ever die for you right will he ever know what it's like to live your life afraid of death will an idea of the good life ever do that for you no of course it can't only jesus does so yeah which is the unique proposition that christianity offers the world is that our god Actually lived in history. Actually lived in history and actually suffered and died with us and like us. Yeah. That's really good news. Yeah, because... a worldview, a philosophy, yeah. an idea cannot die for you. Right. And cannot be in the trenches with you. Yes. It can't therefore it can't understand you. It can't relate to you. And therefore it can't bring you out of the thing that actually is harming you. That's right. A worldview of philosophy hasn't been down in the death in right. death yet. Ideas can't die. Right. But Jesus can and he rose again from it. Yep. So Jesus is better than any of these angelic versions of reality. Right, because he's actually been where you are and therefore can lead you out of it. Yeah. Which means that any other disembodied or even divine strategy to find freedom or life mm-hmm. other than Jesus is inherently flawed. Right. Because none of those have become flesh and suffered, died, risen, and yeah. is now leading us into that same yeah. reality. None of them are going to be able to sustain you through temptation the way yeah. that Jesus can. Okay, that's helpful. That's helpful. Next mm-hmm. is Jesus is not only better than the angels and the messengers, but now he's going to go after Moses. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. probably not the right way to say that. I mean, but he's going to go after Moses. But I mean, who was Moses? He was a messenger. Yeah. One of God's I mean, prophets. The Torah. Yes. Was a pretty big and important message. If I was a Hebrew, which, you know, you've, you've, right. you've you, said you I are, should be yeah. in this episode, <laughs> is uh, I, I'd be like, okay, fine. So maybe some of the angel messages or can I subset right. some of this argument off to be like, fine, maybe this section of my scripture, Jesus is better than... But not the Torah. What about Moses? What about what Moses said? What about the Moses, the man who held the message by right. that was written by angels? He was a man. He was a man. So I mean, checkmate. You you said it's important. Jesus was a man. Moses was a man, and he wrote. He suffered. Book. He yeah. died. So boom. What yes. do you guys say about Moses? Well, let's talk about that. Okay, chapter three. What do you got for me, Seth? Okay, he says. Okay, great. Let's talk about Moses. Mm-hmm. He wants them to consider Jesus who has been appointed by God, just as Moses was. So he starts on the same little footing. Moses was appointed by God, um, and so has Jesus. But Jesus is worthy of more honor and acclaim and glory than Moses ever was, and here's why. Moses was a very honorable man. He built God's house, meaning he founded the nation of Israel. He built the temple. Literally the house of God. Literally the yeah. house of God. And Moses was faithful in doing all those things. Technically, uh, I should probably say he built the tabernacle, but temple and tabernacle, where the author of Hebrews uses it, is very synonymous. But when I, if I say temple, think tabernacle. Okay. If I say tabernacle, you can think temple. Um, the, the place where God's glory dwelt. Moses built it, right? Okay, yep. Mo- and he's a great man. He was faithful to do these things, to establish the nation of Israel and build God's house. And he did all those things as a humble servant. Yeah. Right? Great. Then he says this, but Jesus is not faithful in God's house. He's faithful over God's house as a son. Hmm. And he didn't just create a house. 
he built the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> he built the world in which the t tabernacle was built. That's right. Yeah. So he's like, so he said, okay, Moses was great. He built God's house yep. as a servant. Jesus built the world as God's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, Jesus is a better servant because he's a son. Right. And he did something more impressive than Moses. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting that the first time we're getting temple language, we're also being introduced to creation language at the same moment. And that will be important later on. So if you're an attentive listener and like Easter eggs, temple and this creation one. together are an, an, an important motif. So he's yes. like, okay, right off the bat, Jesus presides over and is greater than Moses. Okay. Then he goes into a very long warning passage about the reason why uh, we, the people listening, the audience, the readers, need to remain faithful to God. Hmm. And we're going to do something different here, and we're going to talk about all the warning passages at the very end. So we're just going to follow his thought through on why is Moses better, or why is Jesus better than, than, Moses. than, than okay. Moses. So, so we're so. kind of skipping this part for now to address it later. That's right. The that's warning right. passage. That's right. Okay, that's cool. Right. So then what's the next development in the Jesus is better than Moses section after he proves that Moses, sure, Moses built the house of God, but Jesus built the world that the house was in. <laughs> yes. And he says, well, Moses was given a task, right? Mm, he yep. was meant to lead God's people into the promised land. Yeah. He was supposed to lead them into rest from their wanderings. They'd right. been enslaved in Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and he was entrusted with the task to bring him into this promised land into the rest of God. Yeah. But what do we know from Moses' story? That he didn't get them there. He didn't enter the rest that God promised him, and neither right. did his successor, Joshua. Right, because Joshua, although he did enter Canaan with the people of God. That's right. The peace that they got was momentary, temporary, and limited. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's importantly for the warning, he says, why and why weren't they able to go there? Because of their unbelief. Are you struggling to believe that Jesus is worth following under persecution? But your ancestors of the faith had the same problem in the past. Right. And they didn't enter the rest. Talking about when they went into, or they went to the land of Canaan, like the first time. That's right. And they spied out the land and they decided it was too scary. So they didn't enter. They did That's not persevere in their faith under right. Moses. That's right. So you will find yourself in a similar situation. You're now under Jesus mm -hmm. and you're wondering, should I persevere like my ancestors That's didn't right. That's in right. the wilderness? And so what's he say to them? Like, don't do what your ancestors yeah, did. No, that's the war. That's the con. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't be forever excluded from the rest that God is providing, that is offering. Okay. Uh, and we'll talk about the warning a little bit Okay, later. okay. But okay. basically what he says is, okay, Moses tried to get them into the rest, and they didn't get it. Right. And then he kind of has in the back of his mind, like this potential objection a Hebrew listener might have, okay. or a potential worry a Hebrew listener might have. Well, if Moses never fully entered the rest, and then Joshua never fully experienced it, does that mean the rest that God wanted for his people will never come? Mm. Like, is it is that possible? Right. If is Moses it, couldn't do it, if Joshua couldn't do it, can anyone? Can anyone do it? And right. then you just extrapolate out the rest of Israel's history. Did David do it? Did Solomon do right. it? Did the prophet? Did, no one no fully one entered it. Does that mean, is there any rest left? Can we get back to the promised <laughs> right. land? Uh, so he's like, so like, that's the problem, yeah. right? So is there any rest left? And then he says this at the beginning of verse four. No, no, no. Rest still remains mm. for the people of God. And so he quotes Psalm 95, 11, and he says, I swore my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Right. So he's saying, all the way back then, I, I said this to them, they won't enter my rest. Mm -hmm. Talking about that first generation that, that refused generation. to enter into the land. Yep. And what's interesting, he points out, is like that implies that God was resting at that time. Oh, enter into this rest that I have as God. Right. Not like some disembodied idea of rest. Right. But that God actually has a rest. Right. And saying. then he says, what does a Genesis tell us? Doesn't he tell him he finished working at the very beginning of the world on day seven of the world? Yes. Doesn't it say, and he says this in verse four, doesn't it say somewhere that uh, God rested on the seventh day from all his works? Mm -hmm. So he's saying, you know, like you're worried that there might be no rest left for you. Totally. I mean, if if the rest is the land, mm -hmm. and we've never been able to secure the kind of safety we needed to have this idea of rest, right? then possibly no leader could ever lead us into it, 
And in fact, Jesus himself didn't seem all that preoccupied with the idea of getting Israel back for us on a geopolitical level. Right. So like, is there even a rest left? Right. If and it's he's gonna, saying, yeah. And he's saying on a very meta level, mm-hmm. yes, God has been resting. Right. There, yeah, he God invited is people. in rest. Is in rest. Yeah. And so what, he's, what I think is fascinating here is he says, although uh, he says he stopped working on the seventh day of creation. Mm-hmm. Therefore, a rest remains for the people of God. Right. Why can we have hope that there is rest? Because God has been resting since day seven of the world. Right. So this kind of blew my mind when I thought about it, because the reason why we can be guaranteed like this peace or whatever, uh, this hope that the Israelite people have is because God has never stopped not working since day seven of the world. Has never stopped not, not working, working. And, and I was like, "Well, is this is this blowing your mind in the same way that it's blowing mine?" I I just I need some categories set up here to really understand what we're talking about. So, like, what is rest? Yes. What does it mean to say that God is resting? Because I think about like Jesus when, whenever he was being accused of working on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. he was like, "I've been working as long as my father has been working." And yes. my father's working right now. That's right. So I'm working because my father's working. Mm-hmm. So like, does that mean God's not resting? He's working? Great question. Okay. I think the way we should think about rest is the establishment of a kingdom. Yes. That's the, yeah, that's the idea. Right. So on the seventh day of creation, yeah. God's world had been made. Yes. The laws of the universe had been decided. The way he wanted humanity to interact with him had been decreed. Mm -hmm. God's kingdom had been finished. Right. And I think in a really important way, nothing else needed to be decided after that point. Yeah. The whole universe had been... Made. Made. Yeah. All the laws in place. His plans for his creation had an end point, which one day heaven and earth would combine and be united. God finish the work of orchestrating, designing, Mm. and bringing the universe into existence on day seven. Yes. And since the fall of Adam and Eve, no one has entered the rest that God has been experiencing since day seven the world was made. And he's in that rest because although the world is in upheaval, he knows that the kingdom is and will be established. Yes. And the reason we can say that is because this idea of rest and the rest that Moses was trying to bring and Joshua was trying to bring was the establishment of a kingdom inside the land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. When they were on the border of Canaan, the people of God, that first generation of desert wanderers, yep. and it said that they they didn't enter into his rest. It's yep. talking about they didn't go into Canaan and start the kingdom. That's right. It's talking about rest was the establishment of a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the rest that Joshua would bring is the idea of peace on every side. Yep. And rest from your enemies. Mm-hmm. And that kind of kingdom rest never was realized in space-time history with Israel for any significant period of time. That's right. But God has been resting in a different kingdom. From day from seven. From day seven. Because I think the, the, the audience here, for myself, the Hebrew, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'd be like, okay, cool. So we've talked about the message. Mm-hmm. And how Jesus is better, but what about like our land, our inheritance, mm-hmm. this rest in a kingdom that we've that's been promised right. from the beginning? Because like that's like a huge part of the Old Testament story is when are we going to enter into this kingdom of rest? Right. And who's going to handle that? Right. And God's like, I've handled it from the beginning. Yeah. On day seven, I rested. I've done everything, and it remains here for you. Come and join me in it. That's right. Moses tried to enter a version of that rest, Mm -hmm. right? And he failed to do so. Everyone's worried. Maybe there is no rest for the people of God. Right. No. God has been resting. His kingdom has been established since day seven, which means he's always been waiting to bring God's people back into his rest, into his kingdom one day in the future. And so you say, okay, you want to know that Jesus is better than Moses, First, you have to remember that there is still rest for you, that you did not eternally disqualify yourself as a people from entering that rest the day you were unbelieving and didn't go into the land. Mm. Rest still remains for you. Right. So point one, you need to believe rest still remains for you. Yes. Before I talk about how Jesus is better than Moses, Yeah. rest is still available uh, okay. for you, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and so then he says, therefore, we should, and this is a wonderfully bizarre turn of phrase that, I lo- that I've learned to love in Hebrews. He said, verse 9 of chapter 4, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
I actually meant to say verse 11. So there remains Sabbath rest for the people of God. But then verse 11, therefore, let us strive, let us work, make every effort to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Yeah. So isn't that an interesting phrase? Like Strive to enter rest. Strive to enter rest. And what's you've already pointed this out is that if God's been resting since day seven of mm-hmm. creation, how can Jesus say that my father is at work? Right. Because not all work is work on the Sabbath. Oh, right. Yes. Jesus proved many times over in his ministry how there's good work to do even on a day of rest like the Sabbath. Right. So I think the way that you should understand this is that since day seven of creation, God has been resting because his interactions with humanity have only ever done them good. Mm. In the same way that a man would pull his donkey out of a well or right. Jesus would heal a, a man with a livered hand. hand. Livered, a livered, a livered hand? hand? A withered, oh, withered hand. Just an old guy's hand. Just, just look liver, look, yeah. look livered, <laughs> uh, full of liver spots. Um, God's been doing that kind of work, good work since the beginning of the world. Yes. And so how do we enter into a world of rest, a kingdom of rest and good works yeah. by making every effort to believe the God who is at rest. We must do the kind of works that he does. We must believe Jesus and do good like mm. God has been doing. Yeah. So that operating from rest then is this idea of doing good. Is that the idea? I, I, th- I think that's part of, I think there's part of it, which is belief. I think this is, Two sides of the same coin. Okay. We must believe that Jesus exists. Yes. And he'll say this in Hebrews 11. And he rewards those that diligently seek him. Yeah. We must believe and we must obey. We must believe that Jesus is the ultimate Moses. We must believe that Jesus is better than angels mm-hmm. and act as if that is true in our lives by persevering through persecution yeah. and doing good to our neighbors and to, and to yeah. the Lord. We must do the types of good works that God is doing. Yeah, I, that's helpful because I think one thing that, that I think has to be talked about here is think about Abraham. Abraham never entered into the land in the, in, in a restful way yep. where there's peace on every side. You know, mm-hmm. he was a nomad, yep. sojourner. And yet I think there are some examples that he lived a rested life in, in some sense mm-hmm. and that he could be at home even though he wasn't at rest in the way that Moses thought his people was were yeah, going yeah, to yeah. be. He, he got a partial like down payment on yeah. that rest. And so it's like there was this shadow of rest that the Moses... Caterpillar of rest. Yeah, this oh. caterpillar of rest that Moses was trying to achieve for his people, that Joshua was trying to achieve, that David was trying to achieve for his people. That if we could have a kingdom here on earth where there were no enemies attacking us and we were self-sufficient, that wouldn't be a bad thing. That'd be a really good thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what God wanted for his people. Like that they would have this picture of a kingdom at rest, but it was only a shadow of the reality that God has in heaven. Mm-hmm. God is at rest in his kingdom yes. and he wants to manifest that among his people. But now you have the Hebrews getting this letter. Mm-hmm. They are not at rest. There is not peace on every side. That's right. And they're like, how can we have rest when we are surrounded by enemies being persecuted, it's clear to us that Israel's not going to be restored to its former glory anytime soon. How can I have rest when there's not peace on every side? And God's like, there is a rest that I've been in from the beginning that I'm inviting you into mm-hmm. and you can join that rest and out of it, you can do good and persevere and have faith no matter what your circumstance looks like. That's right. Because Jesus is greater than Moses and he has opened the way yeah. towards that rest in his life. Mm. Moses was a leader of God's people who could not get them to enter the rest. David, Abraham, yeah. everybody was. But Jesus is. Yeah. And he goes on in verse 14. He says, because he is our high priest who passes through the heavens. Um, and this is going to get into our content next week. But mm-hmm. like. What does it mean for Jesus to be a high priest? What does it mean for him to offer a sacrifice? Yeah. But he's just assuming his audience at this point knows enough about high priest to get what he's saying. Moses was a type of priest, a type of person who interacted with God on God's people's behalf. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to get them to enter the rest of God, the presence of God, that seventh day thing yeah. that God has been experiencing. And he was unable to. Likewise, Jesus 
is a similar type of priest, a similar type of leader, but because he is able to be a priest that Moses wasn't, because he was able to, as we'll see next week, offer a sacrifice and be the man that Moses couldn't be, he brings us into the rest that Moses never could. We can finally, through Jesus' priesthood, experience the divine creative rest that God's been experiencing since the beginning of time. Yeah, and I think it's important that that the, the recipients of this letter could do that from anywhere because if they were going through some kind of exile, separation from mm-hmm. the temple, mm-hmm. from Jerusalem, from Israel, yep. it's like for them that would be a really big deal to be taken away from the locale of God's presence. Right, right, right. Or depending on when this was written, like the temple's going to be destroyed soon too. Yeah. And... So what happens when this place that Moses originally built as a tabernacle that's become a temple where God mm-hmm. was met, what happens when that experiences unrest? Yeah. When it's destroyed? Well, God's saying, yeah, Moses built the tabernacle, mm-hmm. but I've built the world. Yep. And my and he was going to lead you into Israel where you could have rest, but I have a worldwide kingdom of rest that you can enter into, meaning that no matter where you go, no matter what situation you find yourself in, a Sabbath rest remains for you, whether you're in Israel or Ephesus. It doesn't matter. Yeah, a Sabbath yeah, rest yeah. remains for you, mm-hmm. which I think is probably really important for yes. a nomadic, exilic people right. on the run. Right. And so just like their forefathers who were nomadic exactly. and exilic in the wilderness, how did the next generation eventually enter? Mm. By believing that God was God and that he would reward them for their obedience. And so they faithfully entered into one version of that rest, the caterpillar of that rest yeah. when they finally entered. So I think slam. as we close it down, then it's like, I think we have to talk about like, what does this mean for us today? How do we <sighs> enter yes. into God's rest? Yes. What does that seventh day rest look like for us? You know, where we are. So what, mm. I mean, how would you land the plane for mm. people today who weren't necessarily looking to inherit a nation state or mm-hmm. get peace on every side through a political victory. Yeah. I think I'm used to experience thinking about rest as like the cessation of activities. Right. Yeah. So to think about rest as the establishment of like a kingdom order. Yeah. Like as there, that a nation exists in the heavens that orchestrates life on earth perfectly and with justice in the end, mm-hmm. there is a rest in a security um, in knowing that, that just cuts out all anxiety about my current political situation. Right. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, if I know God is in heaven and he's adjudicating justly in the end and bad people are going to rise up to power, but he's going to take care of them. And he's going to, they're going to get what they deserve here on earth or in the end, it's going to all work out. Yeah. And I know he's doing this for my good in some sense that he's making me identify with people of the past. He's bringing me to glory. He suffered alongside me like a son. Mm. (sighs) I can breathe easy. I can rest even in persecution because I know that the kingdom is more powerful than my nation. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think that's the rest. That's really, really good. Yeah. And I think to add on to that, not to make a different point at all, but to add on to that and that that rest has been happening since day seven of creation. Yes. It's not new. Yes. It is so well established that it's been going since the beginning. Yeah. And that that is a firm kind of rest right. that you can enter into. It's a yeah. rest that remains. And how do you enter that rest? You enter that rest by believing that it's real, by be- trusting yeah. that Jesus has made it possible for us, and by acting like God does during his rest period. Doing good. By doing good. Mm, that's good. How does God spend his rest doing justice, yeah. doing mercy, yeah. healing the sick, raising them up out of pits? Yeah. Rest. What did he do on his rest day? He parted the Red Sea and freed a nation from slavery. That's what God does when he's resting. That's what God does when he's resting. Yeah. And that's what he's inviting us to do as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a fun, fun is a weird word <laughs> to use, but like a powerful invitation for what it means to enter the rest that God has for us. And also like a powerful motivation when things are going poorly and we're being persecuted for our faith, suffer well because what's God done in the past? Yeah. He's toppled nations. That's right. When he's resting. Yeah. So what's he going to do when you're resting? It's too good. Okay. Well, that's Hebrews one to four ish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right to the top of five. Basically. Well, great. And then next week we'll talk about, 
high like priests and sacrifices and the order of melchizedek oh yeah that yeah. one so get ready oh it's gonna be good well thank you guys for joining us it's been fun diving into hebrews we'll continue uh, on our next episode with priests sacrifices melchizedek it'll be a blast i can't wait for it but uh we'll see you all there thank you for joining us Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next time.